Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, adoption. It's often seen as a solution to an unwanted pregnancy. Justices Alito and Coney Barrett cited it in oral arguments as a viable alternative to abortion and when they decided to end Roe, the constitutional right to an abortion before viability. So why is it uncommon for people to choose this option? And what's the experience like of those who do? We'll meet three birth mothers in California who did choose to put up their children for adoption. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Studies find few people end up putting their child up for adoption when abortion care is unavailable, even though it's often cited as a viable alternative or solution to an unwanted pregnancy. This hour, we explore why and meet three women who did choose adoption. Joining me first is Angie swanson Kiriako, birth mother and executive director of Empower Alliance, an organization that provides services to women and birthing people who place their children for adoption. Angie's also based in Santa Barbara. Welcome to Forum. Good morning, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. Really glad to have you. Also with us is Ashley Morales. Program Administrative Assistant for La Selva, which is an outpatient behavioral health treatment center. Ashley is also a board member of Empower. Ashley, really glad to have you on as well. Good morning. Thank you. So the two of you know each other. Uh, You also both placed your children for adoption. But as I understand it, had pretty different experiences. So Angie, if I could start with you First, could you tell me about your decision to put up your daughter for adoption? What was going on for you at the time? Sure. So this happened over 20 years ago for me. Um, And at the time, you know, I met a person and thought um, we were in love and we were going to start a new um, chapter of our, our lives in a new city. Um, So we packed up and we moved away, you know, I moved away from uh, my friends, my job that I had been at for um, some time, and my community to start, you know, a new life with this person. Um, And within the first couple of weeks of that move, um, realized that I had made um, a very poor decision, Um, almost immediately Uh, And I should back up. I I mean, there were numerous red flags along the way, but, you know, almost immediately when we moved, um, there was an increase in mental and emotional abuse from this person. 
physical abuse. Mm. And then that turned into financial abuse as well. And so I mentioned that because this is a person who, um, you know, both of us were uh, really underemployed. So we were struggling financially on top of him controlling what limited finances we did have. Um, with that, we were struggling to purchase food, to pay our rent. Um, but that also meant he was very controlling of, you know, the car that we had and found myself in a position where trying to access birth control um, by getting to um, a healthcare provider for that or having the money to do so uh, was really being uh, controlled and manipulated by him. Mm. So within a few months, um, you know, I, I still remember feeling very, very fatigued at the time, having um, bouts of nausea and vomiting, you know, at any time of the day. But I attributed that to um, the tremendous amount of stress that I was under, to anxiety. And it wasn't until I finally took a pregnancy test, which, you know, of course I was pregnant, um, that, um, you know, I knew I had to make a decision rather quickly on what I would do next. And what was ultimately your decision? Right. So, you know, based on, you know, the situation that I was in, the person I was with, um, and, you know, our, our challenges, our struggles, um, I had wanted to have an abortion. And again, going, you know, going back to that uh, financial manipulation, my partner at the time had told me that he would, he would get the money again, you were struggling, but he said, don't worry, I'll get the money together. So, you know, you could have the abortion because he at the time was agreeing that this probably wasn't the best time to have a child. And so as time passed and I kept asking, you know, about, do we have, you know, do we have the money yet? Um, during that time, I was completely unaware that pregnant people can apply for Medi-Cal in California to cover the cost of an abortion. So when I finally got to that point to begin the process of applying for Medi-Cal, seeking um, assistance from a healthcare provider, um, I was at a point in the pregnancy where, um, you know, termination was no longer going to be a possibility. Um, and so it was at that time, again, looking at my life, looking at the chaos and abuse that was taking place, um, I felt it would be best to um, relinquish my child for adoption so they could possibly have um, the potential at um, having much more in their lives than what I was able to offer. So then what did you do next in terms of learning how to go about this process and, and choosing adoptive parents? So I was, and I've shared my story quite a bit, I was completely ignorant um, about adoption and what it entailed. My very limited um, knowledge was based on what I saw in the media or perhaps someone at one point in my life sharing with me that they were adopted. Um, and I probably you know, didn't handle that you know, conversation very eloquently at that time. Um, so I went to, again, this was over 20 years ago, the internet wasn't uh, 
accessible to everyone at that time. So I went to the yellow pages and looked under adoption and I found an attorney who was in the same city and, and called them. So I really didn't do any more research than that. And I think I based my decision being that they were in the same city. Ashley Morales, I would love to hear about the circumstances that you were in uh, when you decided to put your son up for adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found out I was pregnant more so about 21, 22 weeks in. So um, I was so far along, I really didn't have or went through any symptoms of any type at the time. Um, And I pretty much thought I was going through some bloated stomach situation. And um, I went to the doctor to get checked out. And uh, they they ran through tests and everything. And come to find out the next morning, my doctor pretty much emailed me at 5 a.m. and was like, well, you're pregnant. You need to come in. We need to see how far along you are. And I remember going in and uh, being in there with my my doctor, the nurse, and uh, they put the ultrasound up and everything, and you literally can just see this body. And I was just like, "How far along am I?" And so mm-hmm. that's when they were like 21, 22 weeks. And I, re- I remember at that time, I almost wanted to faint. <laughs> like I I couldn't believe it. I was sh- in shock that I was that far along and didn't realize. Um, and I did, of course, ask the option uh, for abortion, but I believe at that time, uh, which was practically nine years ago when I found out I was uh, pregnant, uh, California law, I believe at the time, was after 22 weeks it was illegal to get an abortion. So my that option just was off the table, and I pretty much was like, well, what do I do? And my doctor was like, well, you can either you know, raise the child or you can consider adoption. And in my head, I was like, adoption, like, I, I guess, but I just didn't know so much about it. It was just always something that I saw, like, <laughs> in movies or TV or anything like that. So I wasn't too familiar. And um, I just Googled different agencies in the Bay Area, found one in San Francisco, and uh, met with them, told them how far along I was, and just wanted to take the next steps because I knew I really had like three months to till this baby was about to be born and figure all that out. So my time frame was just so short, um, such a short pregnancy and everything. And for me to enjoy it in such a short time, I, I, I really was blessed through that whole situation. You say that uh, a lot started to happen very quickly in a very short amount of time in terms of finding parents and so on. Can you talk about that next day? Yeah. Um, when I met with the agency, um, they did question and ask, like, what kind of, you know, parents are you looking for? And they, they're pretty much checking every single box. They want to know what uh, religion I wanted them to be, the race, the, the ethnicity, um, what morals they have, everything. They just were going through all that. And it was so overwhelming because I'm just not a judgmental person whatsoever. And I was like, I, I just want good people with good morals. I just want them to take care of my son. I don't, none of that matters. And because I said that, I there was no boxes checked, so I get like a whole stack of brochures to to see of all these wonderful parents and everything. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just 
choose between this whole pile that I got here. Um, And it was just a lot of reading. Um, It was almost like beautiful brochures of these potential parents. And this one couple just stood out to me. And I get asked so many times, like, well, was there like something they said or like was there a word or is it just something that stuck out and really it was just that I I, I'm very big on vibes and things like that and so I just felt something just looking at them honestly it's just was very corny but it's very true at the same time and I reached out to the agency and I was like I want to meet them they're they're the ones I want to meet and we had an awkward date at P.F. Chang's and it was amazing (laughs) We're talking with Ashley Morales, a birth mother based in the Bay Area, and Angie Swanson-Kiriako, a birth mother based in Santa Barbara, about adoption. They both chose to put their children up for adoption, and they are telling us about their experiences. And we'll hear more of their stories after the break. But listeners, of course, we are inviting you to join the conversation as well. Are you somebody who chose to put your child up for adoption when you were unable to access abortion care? Uh, Are you someone who considered it? You can share your stories or experiences by emailing forum at kqbd.org, by calling us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And also forum is on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about Monday, Asian American Histories of the United States. That's the title of Catherine Siniza Choi's new book that documents the experiences of people across the Asian diaspora, investigating what unites Asian Americans and what often gets left out of their stories. This hour, we're talking about adoption and hearing from birth moms who chose to place their children up for adoption when abortion care was not an option. Ashley Morales is one of them, a birth mother based in the Bay Area, program administrative assistant for La Selva. And Angie swanson Kiriako is with us, a birth mother based in Santa Barbara, executive director of Empower Alliance. 
And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts, questions, or stories. Email them to forum at kqed.org. Call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Angie Swanson Kiriako, just before the break, we were hearing Ashley describe the experience of choosing and then having what she describes as kind of an amazing meetup with the adoptive parents at P.F. Chang's that spoke to her that she had a really good feeling about. Can you say a little bit about your experience choosing uh, the adoptive parents, meeting them, and and coming up with an agreement for how you would engage with your child? Sure. And I, I really appreciate Ashley. I ha- love how she said an awkward date at P.F. Chang's. Um, my experience was uh, was much different. Um, you know, I was given, you know, stacks of binders to look through um, of, you know, I believe it was mostly couples. I don't think there were, you know, any single people included in, in those binders and, uh, you know, had been asked the same questions about um, who are the people that, you know, I would like to, you know, raise my child and, my my child is um their their biological father is um latinx uh however you know i don't believe any of the people that were in those binders were of latinx or hispanic um you know heritage uh so that's something that you know now i can look back on and that really stands out to me um, but what I was looking for was, you know, almost who who is the opposite of what I'm experiencing right now. So I wanted, you know, a stable couple who had a home, um, you know, definitely had a much higher income that I had. Uh, the people that I ended up choosing, they had two dogs at the time. I had always wanted a dog growing up, never had one. And they traveled quite a bit. And that was something that I had always desired to do as well. Um, And they were actually located in the same city um, that I was and um, just thought they looked like a nice couple um, and that they had a lot to offer. And that was how I chose them. you know, in general, I'm more of a, especially I think back then, more of a shy individual. So I, those meetings were, they definitely were awkward, you know, for a variety of reasons. But for myself, I was also feeling a tremendous amount of shame mm-hmm. um, and shame that I was in that situation, that I was, you know, unable to parent my baby because that periodically that thought would pop into my head. Could I do this? You know, but then I would look at everything I was lacking and, um, and just felt there was such a deficit, you know, that, you know, I was making the best decision at that time. So there was always this element where I felt less than, Mm. and because we were using the same adoption attorney because in California, dual representation is still allowed where an adoption attorney can represent both the prospective adoptive parents and the expectant parents. Hmm. Um, Now there is a waiver that can be signed, um, which I did, you know, saying that I didn't, uh, wasn't going to require my own representation. Again, when I look back, when I look back on those papers and look back where I was at that time, I was 
so scared and vulnerable and didn't have my own advocate during this process that you know that that almost meant nothing to me but what that created though since the prospective adoptive parents are the ones that are paying for the attorney that in itself creates this imbalance of power so it was evident that the needs and the wants of the prospective adoptive parents took precedent over mine um and with that, again, you know, I'll, I'll say again, I was so ignorant about adoption then when I was asked about um, what type of adoption and, they, you know, we agreed upon open. But for my at that time, I thought, well, that might be really confusing for the child to see me. Um, so I said, let's do photos and letters twice a year, um, which everybody just very uh, readily agreed to that very quickly. <laughs> Um, and was told that was an, an open adoption, um, when in reality it was more, you know, semi-open. Um, and, you know, hind hindsight, I wish I had so much more information at the time, or um, again, my own advocate to walk me through this process, yes. um, because it, it was very overwhelming and very isolating. Angie, what about the moment when you gave birth and then gave the child over to the adoptive parents. What was that like? That was one of the most, probably the most heartbreaking moment in my life. And I had requested, you know, in, at the hospital that I, I didn't want anybody in the delivery room with me, which created some contention between the prospective adoptive parents at that time and the attorney, because they took that as, oh, well, you know, they're afraid, you know, they, the attorney would say to me, oh, they're afraid you're changing your mind. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a very private person. This is going to be, uh, I'm going to be in quite a bit of pain, <laughs> really vulnerable. I would like to not have an audience for that. Um, and, and my experience with the hospital staff, you know, there were some that were really rude to me, very condescending because they're, they're aware that there's an adoption plan in place. But I always will remember there was one nurse who told me, you know, this is your baby. She's still your baby. You hold and be with your baby as much as you want. You know, don't listen to anybody. And so I did spend some time with her. Um, I always wish I had spent more time with her. Um, but to this day, you know, I still remember you know, I gave birth around, um, you know, in the late afternoon on a Sunday and was already back home late afternoon on Monday. Um, but I remember being in the hospital room, handing over my daughter to, you know, who would be her adoptive mother um, and saying goodbye and watching, you know, the adoptive mother walk out of the room. And that image has stuck with me for the past 24 years. And I had, I had nightmares of that for several months, you know, after um, relinquishment. And even to this day, um, and I've shared this with some people where if I'm under, um, you know, a time in my life where I'm under tremendous amount of stress, um, totally, um, you know, things totally unrelated to the adoption, I'll have that dream again. And it's so vivid of her walking away with my baby. 
Ashley Morales, I think you've also described that moment as probably the hardest part of the entire adoptive process. What do you remember about that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I remember um, a very long 42-hour labor in the, in the hospital. Wow. <laughs> I know. And um, he was just very comfortable. Um, the hospital was absolutely um, generous and supportive and every, through my really long labor I probably met like eight different nurses my entire time there and each one were very supportive very aware of what was going on um, all of that and the adoptive parents were there the entire time all those days um, my um, uh, my birth sons um, his uh, birth father was there as well too um, and then my mom was there. So it was mostly just us that just stuck around for those couple of days uh, throughout the labor. Um, but at the end, I had to get a C-section. Um, and uh, that was, um, I, I felt very defeated at that moment because I just felt like as a woman, I should be able to do this naturally. So I really uh. felt that a huge wave of emotion through that. And um we were all a little bit nervous at that time, me, the adoptive parents, all of us. Um, and they, uh, the nurses did ask me, like, oh, who do you want in the room with you and everything? You know, you can do it by yourself. You got to have someone. And at the moment, I didn't really know what the future was going to be like with the birth father. And I just felt like it was only fair that he was in there to experience it, um, the birth and everything. Uh, so he was there in there with me. And... Um, after um, I was healed and got back in and um, into the room and stuff, um, the adoptive parents were there. And uh, it was a very, um, very emotional, very thrilling moment. Um, we were all in the room together. I had a lot of friends come as well to visit, too. Um, and I also wasn't too familiar with the process of a, a C-section and still had to be in the hospital for those few days. Now, I had a particular birth plan that you know, everyone always has to have a birth plan and everything, but of course, that's never followed through or is not exactly planned out. So in no way was I prepared for a C-section. Um, so, of course, I had to stay and heal. The, the adoptive parents had the option to stay, and the hospital was amazing enough to let them be in the room next to me and stay there for the next three days while I was healing, even while uh, my birth son was with us as well. And um, I got to enjoy those few days to bond with him and everything and also get my sleep as well at the same time. Um, but I feel like the most memorable part of all of that, which I which to me was the biggest sign that I really chose the best parents for uh, my son was a, a social worker came in. I think it was probably like on day two or something of my healing and everything. And uh, she came in and was just talking about different, you know, rights, this rights, that paperwork, this and everything. And um, talked to me with the adoptive parents in the room, too. And I remember her turning to the adoptive parents and being like, well, you know, Ashley's going to stay back. She needs to heal and everything. But you guys can go ahead and go home and take um, your son with you. You guys can leave. And I 
kind of just I remember like my heart just kind of dropped and I just wasn't expecting that like I I didn't want them to leave like it, that was just kind of sudden like I just didn't feel like there was any self-awareness in any of that any sort of care in any of that it, it was a very that was a very scary moment for that split second um yes. and um my son's adoptive mom pretty much responded with like well no we're going to stay here with Ashley until she leaves we're all leaving together we're not mm. leaving her behind and i just knew that was it, that made me very emotional i just knew that was i made the right decision Ashley Morales also Angie Swanson Carioco two birth mothers who gave up their children for adoption I'd actually like to bring into the conversation now Gretchen Sisson a sociologist in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Reproductive Sciences at UCSF Gretchen thanks so much for being with us thank you thank you for having me Mina You've done a lot of research on adoption and abortion, and a lot of your work has been widely cited. Could you just put Angie and Ashley's experiences into a bigger context for us? You found that less than 10% or so of uh, birth parents choose adoption. Can you tell us why? Um, So to clarify, the sample that we looked at um, was women who had been seeking abortion care. Yes. And that was uh, w- women particularly who were denied access to the abortions that they wanted. And that was where we found the less than 10% uh, relinquishment rate. So of the women that are denied access to abortions, 91% of them go on to parent their children. And, and this 9% uh, end up with adoptions. So even when you are constraining the choices of these women, even when you're removing abortion as a possible outcome, um, very, very few of them are interested in adoption at all or going through with adoption. And these women particularly were women who actually showed up at the clinic to get their abortion and discovered that they were over the gestational age limit to access abortion care on that day. Um, So this doesn't include women like Angie, like Ashley, who who didn't even get as far as getting to the clinic for the abortion appointment, right? Um, Either, you know, in Angie's case, because um, of, of the abuse and the financial control that she was facing that prevented her from getting the abortion earlier in her pregnancy when she might have been able to, um, or with Ashley, for just for late gestational age. By the time she realized she was pregnant, um, she didn't feel like she, she had time to get an abortion. Um, and that's, that's true of the, a lot of the mothers that I speak with, whether or not they've considered abortion. If they, if they find out that they're pregnant um, later on in their pregnancy, um, you know, they, they, whether or not they can still get one legally in their state, it, it's a less comfortable decision for some of them. And a lot of birth mothers or mothers who, who end up relinquishing um, feel very bonded to their pregnancies. So we actually found that most most mothers who end up relinquishing infants for adoption um, didn't consider adoption necessarily, didn't try to get one. Um, most of them wanted to parent uh, and, and intended to parent their child or hoped to parent their child. Um, but they were facing situations where they didn't have the financial resources to do so, um, where they were in unstable housing, unsafe relationships, um, and, and parenting didn't feel tenable by the time they got to the point uh, later in their pregnancy where they really needed to make a plan for what was going to happen when their child arrived. 
Well, we're getting some responses from listeners. Jane writes, it was 1968 and I found myself pregnant at 18 by my first serious boyfriend and my first time having sex. I did not discuss this with my family. Abortion access was limited. I made a sorry attempt but met someone who sent me to Catholic Charities. I had my baby and the adoption was processed. If this sounds clinical, it is because the whole process was traumatizing. As it happened more than 50 years ago, I can finally process the pain. I cried myself to sleep every night while I was pregnant. I hope the child wasn't harmed by that. This changed my life's choices as I decided to marry someone safe and not for love. 20 years later, I found myself pregnant by by a casual boyfriend and thankfully was able to have an abortion. What a relief. Another listener writes, I was adopted. In the 60s, I found and spoke with my birth mother when I was in my 20s. I asked her why didn't she just abort me. She already had three kids, but she was living with her extremely religious, Pentecostal, angry mother who shamed her for getting pregnant out of wedlock and was sickened by her, quote, evil actions. At the time, she was trying to escape her abusive husband, and she briefly dated my father and had me unexpectedly. She said it wasn't an option to have an abortion. She was in her early 20s and said she felt very manipulated to give up, to give me up for an adoption. All decisions seemed to be out of her hands. After I was born, she wasn't allowed to hold me. The nurses snatched me away. She cried as she told me her story. I hate to say this, but it's been a very long, anxiety-ridden, depressive, shattering heartbreak of a life. And truly, if I could do it again, I would say to her, abort all the way adoptees for abortion or let women be in control of their lives and bodies. Our listeners are sharing their experiences and relationships to adoption. Also, our guests, Angie Swanson-Kiriako and Ashley Morales, are sharing them as well. And Gretchen Sisson, a sociologist who studies this for UCSF, is with us as well. We're hearing uh, about their experiences of adoption never being easy and also relatively uncommon. And we will hear more about the realities of this process after the break. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the decision to put a child up for adoption. And you, our listeners, are also sharing your stories at 866-733-6786, emailing them to forum at kqed.org or posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And on the line now is Susan Dusha Guerra-Luxander. Thanks so much for being with us, Susan. 
Hi. Hi, everyone. I understand you're a birth mother and an agency and clinical director at PACT, an adoption alliance. Can you tell us about your decision to put up your daughter for adoption? Sure. Yes, I'm a first mother. I'm also a transracial adoptee. Oh. And um, yes, and I, um, I actually use the term place. I placed my daughter for adoption. Um, some of the terms that have been used, like give up or put up a child for adoption, don't really resonate with me and, and many other first parents. Mm, um, and have me. some, sure, and have some roots and, um, uh, th- you know, kind of um, outdated practices such as the orphan train, which if people want to Google that. But I'll just say, you know, my decision, um, I was actually very familiar with adoption being an adoptee myself. And um, I had an unplanned pregnancy when I was 20 years old and um, decided to continue the pregnancy. You know, it was a very conscious choice. Um, and so, you know, for me, abortion care was an option. It was something I considered. It was something that I um, very quickly decided, you know, was not going to be my choice, even though I was very pro-choice at the time and still am. Um, but, you know, for me, being familiar with adoption and being aware that, you know, unplanned pregnancies happen, (laughs) Um, you know, from the time that I was, you know, a teenager, I had always thought about what would I do if I was in that position. And I sort of had kind of almost pre-decided that if I were to ever have an unplanned pregnancy, I would, and I didn't feel able to parent that I would place my child for adoption. Um, And so, you know, I, um, I came to that decision to pursue adoption very early on in my pregnancy, but then I changed and, um, you know, sort of questioned that decision as my pregnancy went further along and was really wrestling between parenting and adoption. Um, And like some of the other um, first mothers have said, you know, for me, I had sort of, um, I feel like especially as an adoptee, really internalized this message that um, there are certain people who um, deserve or who make, you know, who get to be parents. There are certain things that make people better parents. You have to have two of them. They have to own a home. They have to have a certain amount of, you know, additional income. So I was looking at myself and sort of saying, I, that is not me. I don't have those things. Um, And also feeling like, you know, I, um, I wanted something different for my life. I um, didn't want to, um, you know, uh, be, you know, a parent at a young age, essentially, and so, or younger age. Um, So I did, you know, uh, decide on adoption and questioned that decision, but ultimately, um, you know, after my daughter was born, uh, made the heart-wrenching decision to place her for adoption. Angie was not, I think, given the option to choose the race of the parents. Ashley was. Were you so, no, I was only shown profiles of white pre-adoptive families. And, you know, the organization that I work for, Pact and Adoption Alliance, is specifically pushing back on some of the, um, you know, frankly, white supremacist um um, you know, structures and adoption that it often is set up to serve, you know, white pre-adoptive families um, so that, you know, parents who are expecting a child of color um, don't have the option to place their child with a family that shares their child's racial identity. Um, and so, you know, for me, all I was shown were white families and, um, 
you know, I think Angie sort of touched on this, you know, didn't feel like I could say, hey, like, you know, I'm not white, I don't identify as such, can you show me families that um, share my identity? How you talked about how you wrestled with the decision throughout the process and the ways that your own experience as an adoptee informed what made you ultimately decide that you should pursue adoption. I'm wondering, Susan, where you are now on this decision. How do you reflect on it now? Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, a lot of us first parents, so I use the term first parent, sort of interchangeable with birth parent. Um, and, you know, we have to live with these decisions and look back at ourselves at those moments in time and um, sort of try to make sense of that in our decision. And I think a lot of us um, were doing the best we could with the information that we had at the time. Um, and then we evolve and we change. And, you know, some of us look back with a lot of um, regret and anger and grief. Um, trauma, and some of us are able to look back with a sense of peace and acceptance. Um, you know, I'd say I'm I'm all of those. Adoption is really complicated, and um, you know, I didn't have a lot of um, models or templates or support to parent my child as a 20 year old, and you know, was dealing with um, you know some um, uh, some shame and also some. Um, pressure from the professional professionals I interacted with. And so, um, you know, I, I look back on it with empathy for myself, for that 20-year-old young woman who was doing what she thought was best. Do you have a relationship with your daughter now? <laughs> I do, um, but it's been a long journey. So I placed her in what, in what was supposed to be an open adoption. I was supposed to have been allowed um, visits with her a, a few times a year. And when she was about six months old, her adoptive parents closed the adoption and said that they weren't going to allow me to see her. Um, and that was about 21 years ago. Um, last year, uh, we reunited in person and have been developing a relationship since. So I'm actually calling in, in from a road trip <laughs> that we're on together. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, my daughter, my two other children and my husband and I are, are all on a road trip right now. So, um, but, you know, it's been complicated um, for me to, um, you know, come to terms with, you know, as an adoptee, I would not have chosen adoption had I known that it would have been closed because yes. closed adoptions are very harmful, um, not only to the adopted person, but, you know, to, to the people placing their children. And, to be, um, you know, entrusting someone to honor those agreements to then have them betrayed has been very painful. I'm so sorry, Susan. Um, well, let me go to caller Jesse in Point Richmond. Hi, Jesse. Hi. Um, I am going to be 73 in a couple of weeks. And when I was 19 years old in 1968, I got pregnant. I gave birth in June of 69. And I got pregnant. I was living out, I was spending some time, a year living out in Aspen, Colorado. I'm originally from Minnesota. And my, my, very, my serious boyfriend, who became my husband some years later, joined me. And we were camping, and our birth control failed. Hmm. And the doctor, there was um, a doctor. Well, at that point, the only way you could get an abortion in 1969 was to fly to New York. And we were working... 
minimum wage jobs when we could even get them. And so we were very poor and uh, had no resources to certainly to fly to New York. And so uh, the doctor who discovered I was pregnant when I complained of fatigue, um, he, um, he said, I'll deliver the baby, but you have to promise not to hold the baby or see the baby. And I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I had any choice, so I agreed to that. And then he referred us to a social worker with Pitkin County Social Services, and she was wonderful. She counseled us, and we really liked her. She included uh, the birth father, Joe, in the consultation, in the counseling sessions. And, um, yeah, and, and then it was a closed adoption, and all I know is that the it was a family in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, a town nearby. I did, the baby, as often happens with first mothers at high altitudes, the baby was a little underweight, so it, the baby was in an incubator for a week or two, and I did sneak into the hospital and look at her, but I mm. was never allowed to, to hold her. Um, and did, I, I felt, yeah. I'm so sorry, Jesse. Go ahead. Have you ever been able to or have a relationship with your daughter? Well, I'm going down. I'm going to tell you about that. So I, um, I was, I, I felt the hospital staff was very supportive. Uh, Joe was able to be there with me in the uh, delivery room. It was a long, painful delivery. Um, and I did feel a kind of dysthymia the rest of the summer. Afterwards, we got back to Minnesota. We had asked his parents if they could help support the baby. And they said, no, for I think they were very upset that we were living together without being married and so on. And um, so I started uh, contacting the, um, back then there was an adoption registry. And I, um, I, I wasn't, I was really at peace with giving the baby up. It was the right decision. I um, have had periods financially where I struggled a lot through the years. I've had other periods where I had professional jobs and was doing okay, but I've had periods of clinical depression. It's been a real up and down life. And I just, I, I feel like it was the right decision. And I'm really happy that I could give the baby a stable home. I'm not so happy that she probably was, um, of a different political persuasion and so on. I mean, honestly, I don't even know if we'd like each other if we met, but I want her to have the option to meet me if she is curious, and I'd like her to be able, if she wants to find out about various, you know, family history or genetics or diseases or anything like that, I'd like her to have the option. So I I did the adoption registry, and I've since, that was what they had years ago, and I've since done 23andMe and and uh, Ancestry.com, but gotten no hits. And I wonder if any of the guests know of any other ways to search for um, uh, for the people involved to search for each other in, in this day. Yeah, Gretchen Sisson, do you know about Jesse still looking for her daughter? Um, there are paid searchers that um, facilitate a- adoption reunions between um, parents and and their children who who have been adopted. Um, it's, it's not something that I know a huge amount about, but, um, you know, I know that most, most parents do want to make themselves available to their children to the extent that, 
um, the, the children are able to search or express interest in that. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit. Also, what we're hearing from people who especially who did adoptions, uh, say, in the 60s or 70s or so, it feels like there was a lot of stigma uh, in terms of being a single parent as well. Has that changed too, Gretchen? It's important to remember that even during this, you know, pre-row period of, of the 1950s and 60s, um, we call it the baby scoop era because it was this this time of really extractive, coercive, secretive adoptions. Um, and of course, abortion was illegal. Um, and, and single parenthood was certainly subject to a huge amount of stigma. But even in this context, there were far, far more abortions and single parents than there were adoptions. Adoption has always been the least chosen path for people facing a crisis or unintended or unplanned pregnancy. And so I I think that it's important to contextualize that even at the peak of private adoption in this country, um, when abortion was fully illegal um, and and single parenting was was really untenable for a lot of people, adoption was still (laughs) the least popular way to go. Um, I do think, you know, we, we have a lot of evidence that understandings of single parenthood have changed in the last 50 years, and and that looks very different. Um, But what that doesn't necessarily mean is that single parenting or parenting in poverty is easy. Um, And we have such a thin social safety net in this country that you you don't have as many people feeling like single parenthood is is completely taboo, but you do have more relinquishing mothers saying, I can't afford to have this child that I do want to parent. Um, and we know that most um, relinquishing and, and birth mothers today are in the lowest brackets of income. Um, you know, over half of all mothers who pursue adoption have less than $5,000 of personal income a year. Now, they might be getting additional support from somewhere else. This is personal, not household income. They might have a a partner or a parent who's offering them um, some financial resources. But they don't have their own money. They don't have their own financial power to lean on when it comes to shaping the path for themselves and their child. Yes. We're talking about the all the complicated Aspects that go into a decision and experiencing an experience of placing or putting your child up for adoption. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We have just a couple minutes left, but Ashley, you have said that your decision, you know, and feel strongly was the best decision. Is that how you reflect on it now? I still definitely do to this day. Um, I would be lying if I were to say, like, I don't feel any type of grief <laughs> whatsoever to like to this day. I there's so many moments, so many times that I definitely miss my my son. Um, I can't, it took me a while to get used to seeing different things, being involved in different things when friends, family, peers are mm-hmm. inviting me to baby showers. And I'm like, I, I don't want to I don't want to go. I'm not comfortable. But well, you have a successful, you know, birth story. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, you you don't understand. And Mm. it's taken so much self-awareness these last nine years. I feel like I've gotten another family in my life. I've had amazing conversations, especially with um, um, my son's adoptive mom. And Mm. it feel like it brought us just so much closer into understanding that 
we both just live our lives and I am get to live the life that I want right now because of my son and the decision that I made. Well, Meredith writes, when a letter arrived in my mailbox after 52 years saying, I think you might be my grandma, it was a seismic shock. My body went rigid. My initial response was to throw the letter on the floor. Why would I want to reveal a secret that had been successfully buried? I would have to now relive the pain of all those shattering experiences that turned my life upside down. It sent waves of shock through my body as I began to relive painful memories of rape on a college campus, isolation and shame, then having to hand over your own child to adoption. It was crushing to the core. No one will ever comprehend the gravity and deep sadness of the moment. Angie, finally to you, how do you reflect on your decision now? What impact has it had on you? Well, you know, like I believe Susan had said, I made the best decision at the time with the information that I had and the situation that I was in. Um, However, it doesn't mean that I haven't had regret that I regret I wasn't in a better place or um, there weren't more resources for me or just in general, you know, we have systems that are set up in the U.S. that don't support um, parents that are really harmful to, you know, women and uh, birthing people. Uh, so even though I've, I've been in my reunion with my daughter for about 10 years now and love and appreciate her so much in that relationship it's still not hard to you know still i I still have grief and sadness at times well angie swanson kiriako ashley morales susan dusha vera alexander thank you so much for just giving us the full spectrum of your experiences around adoption. And Gretchen Sisson, thank you for putting it in context for us. Thank you to our listeners for sharing your stories, your reflections, and also adding to our understanding of what it means when we hear choose adoption or that adoption is a viable alternative. My thanks also to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. 
We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.